The past few days have been incredible. Here at Liberty Hawk Ranch, we've had a team of world-class experts from state, state legislators, and uh, experts on gold as currency and gold, the history of it, and the need uh, for liberty legislation that would enable us to really throw off the shackles of oppression from an overarching federal government. And among the attendees is a dear friend, for more than a decade, the leading light of, in the legislature of the state of Utah, Ken Ivory, a guy who hired me to write that Utah report I talk about all the time where you know it predicts how bad the debt's gonna be and kinda we undershot, and we said it was terrible and we undershot. Anyway, Ken is an attorney. He stands for liberty. He stands against uh, any federal overreach, and he stands for the Constitution. He's a good friend, and he's with us here in the Economic War Room. Welcome, Ken. Kevin, thanks. It's been, uh, it's been a great couple of days. Yeah. I, you shared with me, though. You sent me this PowerPoint about compulsory cap and trade, and I thought, this is so important. How did you learn this problem, and what are we going to be doing about it? What, tell, okay. Describe the problem. You know, I mean, you mentioned we've been uh, following federal overreach, right? We're just trying to keep the federal government in, it, in its lane and keep it within its roles and responsibilities. And, and, you know, I've got some Google alerts set, and it was just crazy. December 20th, I get this alert about a meeting that Center for Biological Diversity has with President Biden. Center for Biological Diversity. And they give him, on behalf of two to 3,000 of their friends, the plan that Biden is going to implement. And they say, these are the 10 things you're going to do as president without Congress. So we don't care about Congress. These this are the is things December you as the 2020, yep. before he goes into office, the Center for Biological Diversity, which means that you know, we're going to have good fish and good birds and things like that. Uh, apparently, that means a little more than that. Yeah, it's, um, it, it means you're not going to use your land. You're not going to touch the land. It means they're going to control the land. In fact, one of their big, their big objectives, and you can look this up, it's called 30 by 30. 30 by 30 means they're going to lock up 30% of all land in the United States and in the world by, by 2030. And they say, as you dig deeper, that that's a stepping stone to 50 by 50, that they want to have the government control 50% of all land and water. That is so incongruous with yeah. what the founders intended. I mean, you've been fighting with the American Lands Council. You know, hey, the government, federal government ought not own all of this land, and yet they're trying to take us the opposite of what the founders intended. Yeah, think about uh, Thomas Jefferson, right? He, he buys uh, 530 million acres for $15 million, greatest land deal in history. And what does he do? He trusts people with land and liberty, and they produce the greatest prosperity the world's ever seen. And we've now come to a point, Kevin, that we're exactly the opposite. We have our government is locking up land as fast as they can and then controlling what we can do on the land. And then while they control the land, part of this whole scheme in putting together a compulsory cap and trade system is they then take the land so that they can sell the environmental services back to you if you've exceeded your greenhouse gas quota. And that's all been done by executive fiat. And you know, I do not think the American people who voted for Joe Biden, maybe some of them, but the most of them who voted intended for this to be the outcome. Did he tell us that, that this is what he was gonna do? Well, um, yeah, he kind of did, right? He, uh, 
when he was campaigning, he was reading from the script of what these folks were telling him. And nobody was paying attention. They weren't paying attention as he was going through, but, but he did. I mean, on the campaign trail, he flat out said, we're going to shut off oil and gas. We're going to shut off coal. We're going to take the energy and, and we're going to take those that are producing energy from hydrocarbons. So we're going to tie them up in, in uh, regulatory ways. And then he even says, and if they don't, we're going to put them in jail. He didn't say And the that. people kind of laugh. He says, no, 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 I mean it. We're going to put him in jail. He did not say that. No, I'm serious. You got the video. You're going to show that. Yeah, no, well, later, let's, right? let's roll the video. So you have to set sort of guide rails down now. So between the years 2021 and 2030, it's irreversible, the path we've set ourselves on. And one of which is doing away with any subsidies for fossil fuels, number one. Number two, holding them liable for what they have done, particularly in those cases where you're underserved neighborhoods and you, you know the deal, okay? And by the way, when they don't or when they're deliberate, put them in jail. That's what I, I, I'm not joking about this. I'm not joking about this. Not joking about this, Kevin. You know the deal. I'm not joking about this. And so this is part of, um, and, and this is still online. It's at climatepresident.org. And you can see the plan that they gave him in December of 2020. So they have steps. a plan. Has he been following it? Uh, yeah, uh, pretty, pretty, uh, pretty diligently, right? So his first executive order was 14008, tackling climate crisis at home and abroad. And right in that executive order, it says we're going to lock up 30% of all land and water in the United States, completely decarbonize all of the energy sector in the United States, so energy and transportation sector, and then you have the whole of government approach. So in the executive order, every single federal agency, I mean, Department of Education, NOAA, the Postal Service, they all have to have the their- The IRS. IRS, they have to have their 30 by 30 decarbonization and environmental justice plan. And yeah, they're ticking these all off down the line. So the couple of them that they haven't gotten to yet is make polluters pay and uh, declare the climate emergency. So you're gonna hear more and more drumbeat about declaring the climate emergency and making polluters pay. Yeah, and if they don't, throw them in jail. Put them in jail. Which is frightening. Right. Not, so this I'm is not a, joking, right? I yeah. mean it. This is a political issue that ought yeah. to be decided by an intelligent electorate. And frankly, I question why this is even a federal issue. I mean, I read the Constitution. That's not enumerated the federal government, so that's left to the states. And you've shown us that the states do a better job managing land than the federal government does. This is all very frightening. Yeah, no, go figure. It's, um, I mean, Kevin, it's more than frightening, honestly. It, um, it gets to a control agenda that in the executive order that he did in May of 2021, he spells out that they're going to they're gonna score everyone on their greenhouse gas score. And if you don't have whatever the appropriate greenhouse gas score is, you don't transact any business with the federal government, including selling to or getting any benefit from the federal government. And then they remind us, they remind us, Kevin, in, uh, in a roadmap document that the federal government is the world's largest purchaser of goods and services. And they say, we're going to use that as a tool to strategically shape the markets. How is that not economic warfare? All right, we're gonna have to take a break. When we come back, we're gonna talk a little more about the details and how they're gonna roll it out and try and force this on us. But more importantly, we're gonna find a way that we can fight back and stand up to an over-controlling federal government. 
We've been talking with Representative Ken Ivory about this really uh, commanding situation where the federal government is going to demand that we do compulsory cap and trade, that we follow the rules that they set, that we set aside 30% of our land by 2030 and all of that. Uh, Ken, what, what impact is this going to have on consumers? Oh my gosh, Kevin. You know, um, President Obama, when he was a candidate, told us very clearly. Right? He said, under my plan, electricity rates are necessarily going to skyrocket. We're already seeing that, but anything you've seen now is, is uh, just a prelude. I think people need to see that for themselves because you're like, oh, no, no, we elected him. We like this guy. We elected him twice. He didn't tell us he's going to ruin us financially by skyrocketing electricity rates. Can we roll that clip? Under my plan uh, of a cap and trade system, electricity rates would necessarily skyrocket. Even you know, regardless of what I say about whether coal is good or bad, because I'm capping greenhouse gases, coal powered plants, you know, natural gas, you name whatever the plants were, whatever the industry was, they would have to uh, retrofit their operations. That will cost money. They will pass that money on to consumers. Now, Utah depends on coal, right? Yeah, we're 70% coal fired power. We're now under an order from the EPA to shut off all coal fired power by 2026. I mean, Kevin, if we put the order in for wind solar battery right now, assuming that that works, we haven't seen anywhere that it's been demonstrated at grid scale, but assuming it works, there's, there's no way possible that you would set up for an entire state to run off of wind, solar, and battery by 2026. It's just, it's not there, but they don't seem to, they don't seem to care about those logistics. It's about it's about the order. It's not about whether it'll work or not. And, and at the state level, we have a duty to make sure that we provide affordable, reliable power. It's called the police power. It doesn't mean actually just the police right. with the guns and badges. It means protecting health, safety, welfare, morals. Supreme Court has said repeatedly, the police power is possessed by the states, not the federal government. So in the bill that I passed this year was House Bill 425. We just we laid out, we said, look, the police power is possessed by the states. Energy is central, fundamental to the police power. And so thank you for your suggestion, but we're not shutting off the power in the state of Utah. M money is central to that as well. I think I put yeah. that police power argument in the book, Pirate Money, talking about why states can have their own currency. Yeah, yeah. no, I mean, it really is, right? It, um, so now we're in a situation where we've got our federal government ordering private companies to shut off the power. They know that this isn't gonna work. They know they can't transition. They've got shareholders pressuring them as well. And so they really don't even know which way to turn. And so it's very critical that people get to their state representatives, their state leaders, and give them the support that they need. We're, we're going into some really hard things. Kevin, I spoke with a top energy attorney, actually here in Texas, I was talking to him on the phone. I said, gosh, you know, it just, it just looks like we are out at the OK Corral and we're at high noon getting ready for the showdown. And he said, that's exactly what's happening. Between the states and the federal government. Between the states and our own federal governing partner, that's right. Now, you have a, a senator from your state in, in the United States Senate who's retiring, who's not going to be back. And I've heard floated your name as a possible candidate for, for his position, but you told me no. Um, 
explain no. that. Yeah, you know, we, uh, we're not going to solve these issues in Washington. So we have very critical checks and balances, right? The first one is the people. There are a lot of things we never delegated to the government. Critical question we're not asking often enough. The second check is the balance, the balance of powers between the state and the national government. And if we don't get that right, then it really doesn't matter what executive, legislative, judicial is doing at Washington. We've got to fix that balance, and that's not going to happen at Washington. That really is going to come from the states understanding their jurisdiction, standing at that jurisdictional line and defending it. And so we really need, the people need to get active again as the owners of this governing enterprise and realize that your direct reports are right there, right there at the state. The most powerful government should be that which is closest to the people. Constitution's clear on that, right? Here, Here are the powers of the federal government. They list them out. If it's not listed there, it doesn't belong to the federal government. It belongs to the states or the people. Yeah, no, that's right, and that's right. So, so would you like to memorize the Constitution in the next 20 seconds or so? Sure. Very, very simple, right? If government, which government? That's the whole Constitution. If government, did we the people delegate that matter to any government? If not, stop right there. If we did, then which one? Did we delegate it to a government far away, less accountable, less transparent, which is a limited jurisdiction government, Supreme Court has made that clear, or did we keep that power close to home where we can go to the Capitol, we can talk to our representative, our voice can matter directly on the things that affect our life, liberty, property. If government, which government? That's the entire Constitution right there. So what should people be asking? Because it's an afterthought when you look at your state rep or your state senator. It's kind of an afterthought because everybody's worried about whether it's Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis or whatever. What should people be looking for in the qualities of good state representation? Yeah, you know, first of all, uh, are they good, wise, and just, right? You have to get through that hurdle first. Second is, do they know their job? Do they know that their job is governing balance? That's the structure of government. Justice Scalia said the fragmentation of power produced by the structure of our government is central to liberty. When we destroy that, we put liberty at peril. So do they realize that the federal government has few and defined powers, the state's numerous and indefinite? Do they know their powers? Do they know their state powers to make sure that they keep that government in balance? And are they committed to do that? Because if we don't keep the structure right, it, it, give you an example. It's, it's like a bicycle that has a bloated front tire. It has a flat back tire. Doesn't matter who rides the bike. You could get Lance Armstrong all hopped up on steroids. <laughs> and if they yank the handlebars to the right or to the left, it doesn't matter. You've got to fix the balance. And that was the structure of our government. We have to fix the balance in the structure. Then it really doesn't matter who rides the bike. Do they yank it to the left or right? as much as that balance does, that's, that's critical. So. so basically you're looking for somebody who understands that balance yeah. and we ought to spend our time evaluating people when they're running for office. Do you get the balance yeah. and, and your constitution in four points? Yep. Yeah, no, that really is, that's, that's the heart of it, right? And so we need to recognize that we're the owners, we're responsible, we can't point the finger to Washington. It's right here and we need to take ownership again Know where the boss, know who we hire, know if they know their job, know if they're doing their job. Well, we're going to have to take a break. When we come back, let's talk about what the job should be. 
So Ken, we've been talking about uh, the threat that the, both the Obama administration and then later the Biden administration have brought, the 30 by 30 and all of that. There's an economic component, and it's, but it's not just electricity rates. It's right. gonna impact us across the board. One other thing you brought up to me was something about 20,000 new, tell, explain that. Yeah, so part of this 30 by 30 plan and what was in the uh, executive order, the 14008, was what they call the, the Civilian Climate Corps. FDR had his uh, Civilian Conservation Corps. My grandfather was in that. And they went out and did works projects, you know, out in the mountains and whatever, and built trails and whatnot. Civilian Climate Corps, 20,020 somethings out proselytizing the climate change issue. Wait, so, they're not clearing trails, they're out to talk to people about the climate issue? Is that their primary? Yeah, no, that's exactly it, right? If you look back in that. So, so they're, they'll, they'll be placed in all the different federal agencies dispatched out throughout the United States and it's to basically evangelize the climate alarmism. Wait, why don't we just do this? Let's pass for 20,000, 20 somethings to go out and talk about the life issue yeah. and talk about the importance of human life and, and, and all that. The Democrats would freak yeah. if, if the Republicans suggested that. Yeah, well, you know, but, but again, it comes back to us, right? We've allowed government to centralize. I mean, that's what government does. If you don't check government, it grows. And we've allowed that government to grow and centralize. Now, hopefully on the conservative side, even if we had the president in, we wouldn't use that sort of power run amok. But, but this is what government does. And I'm not going to excuse even, even centralized power on the conservative side. We've got to pull that back. And that comes at the state level. But yeah, you now have 20,000 civilian climate corps people. And what they're doing, Kevin, is they've now taken all this land that was locked up, 640 million acres, that mostly is in the Western states, they're leasing that to their NGO pals so that they can sell environmental services. If you've sinned too much in your climate score, well, there's absolution for you. So I drive my SUV too much, I can buy absolution, I send somebody some money, and what you're saying is we're sending it to somebody who's claiming to have leased these lands that the government has locked up, but they were locked up anyway. Why should I have to pay for that? Yeah, well, yeah, why should they be holding them in the first place? That's the a better question, question right? but yeah. Yeah, so I mean, they had no authority to hold them, but the longer we allow them to hang on to it, they're gonna come up with more and more dangerous ideas. And so now, the land that was supposed to be multiple use sustained yield, right? Timber and ranching and harvesting and even recreation, They've now shut off all the land, and they're leasing the, that same land. But they not developing it. Yeah, no, they call it conservation leasing. So it was like the solemn promise. This land is going to be just as good as if you had it under your control in the state. Multiple use sustained yield was an act that goes back into the 60s. But now they lease it to their NGO pals. They even have the New York Stock Exchange from September of 2021 allowed them to do IPOs for something called a natural asset company. So you take the environmental asset, you tie it up, you do the IPO, and then you sell the environmental services for anyone that, do you know anybody that, that is trading with the federal government, gets a federal benefit at all? And if their climate score is not exactly right, then they have to buy 
the climate credits. And they trade with everybody. It's the largest consumer of goods it and is. services on the planet. Yeah, yeah, they even brag, right? It's the world's largest purchaser of goods and services. So now, Kevin, from a timing standpoint, Europe goes live October 1 on what they call their cross-border adjustment mechanism. It's their cap and trade. They actually passed it as a law, right? Congress tried to pass it three times. It, it failed. So this is why they built it completely from administrative regulation, executive, and executive orders. orders. They go it, live October 1, so then we're gonna see things going really uh, going really active here on the carbon credits and, and uh, you know the leasing and then selling the services, and you'll see that executive order. That was 14030 that put in the carbon limits. Is this as much a scam as it sounds like? It's like, we're gonna take this public land that we've basically forced everybody to get off and stay off, and we're gonna sell indulgences from it so you can go sin over here, and we're gonna give our pals, not even the people getting the money from it. It's like we're losing in every aspect of this. Yeah. Well, and, and again, that comes back to us, right? I mean, imagine if you didn't show up at your company and you, know, you showed up a, a, a third of the time. You, when you needed employees, you just go out on the street, pick them at random. You didn't give them the job description and you never followed up. Work great, right? How do we approach government? Right? We're the boss, and even in an election year, about a third of us show up. When we're hiring our employees at the ballot box, most people look at you know red flyer, blue flyer, we barely know who they are. We don't give them the job description, right? Governing balance, few and defined, numerous indefinite, and we don't follow up. So government is engineered to grow, and when government grows, it does things that are pretty dangerous, and we're now at a very late stage on that, I believe. The scary part is, is exactly what you said. The employee is the representative. They work for the people, and yet, when I walk into state reps' offices or congressmen's offices, we're your rulers and your leaders. How may I bless you or help you in my sovereign capacity? Yeah. That we have a misunderstanding of the role. I wrote a book according to plan, and in it, I use the term pigs, and the Apostle Paul said, you shouldn't speak ill, he quoted the Old Testament, you should not speak ill of a ruler of your people. And I struggled with that until I realized that, that no, they're servants, they're not rulers. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, Kevin, if you showed up here at your company, you didn't have a plan, you didn't act like the boss, you didn't set the agenda, you didn't know where the ent enterprise was going, Everybody run over me. You wouldn't be treated like the boss. And so in order to be treated like the boss, we have to act like the boss. To act like the boss, first of all, we have to know that we are. We have to know the structure. We have to know the nature of the enterprise. And then we've got to give that job description to our employees. Now, the other secret to that is we've got to leverage our voice, right? I mean, it's, it's, you're not the only boss of your representative. They may right. have 30, 40, 50,000. So, so you get together with your chamber of commerce, you get together with your, your civic group, with your church group, with your neighbors, and you, you leverage your voice. And, and then by doing that, now you're communicating, but we've got to communicate the vision. And if we're not communicating the vision, courage comes from the people. Courage is not from uh, elected office. Uh, it, it, it comes from the people. Well, that's a great point, Ken. Thank you so much for joining us here. Hey, the point is real. We gotta get this message out. We have to make the voice heard. We have to help people understand their role as the, the rulers, we the people. 
So we'll put all this in our free economic battle plan. You can get it at economicwarroom.com. Remember, what we see as a marketplace, our enemies view as a battle space. This is Kevin Freeman from the Economic War Room.